Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Forgotten Football Club's podcast. My name is Rory, your host for this evening, and I'm joined as per by Phil O'Rourke. How are you, Phil? You okay? Good, good, Rory. What's up? Yeah, not a lot. It's um, the sun is shining here in um, Costa del Lanark. Uh, absolutely splitting the trees all day. It's been about 20 degrees outside, so cannot complain whatsoever. How's things been going with you? Yeah, it's quite warm here in Dublin as well. Um, the sun is starting to come out, so we hopefully we'll get our three days of summer here in Ireland, uh, and then that'll be that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I was going to yeah, say, no. yeah, this is um, one, one, of, uh, one of probably five or six seasons that we've had today. So, um, But no, we, we, we take it as it comes, and we appreciate every minute of it. Yeah, big time. Uh, I mean, warm weather uh, can't be can't be taken for granted, uh, especially mm. around these parts. Um, I suppose but... it's um, it's quite fitting because the clubs that we're going to be talking about today come from two parts of the world, which are known for well, one of them's known for being warm. I guess I don't know about the other. I, I don't know. Is Paraguay is Paraguay known for being warm? I think it is. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, it's in it's in South America, beside Brazil, near the Amazon, or the Amazon maybe goes into it. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll say, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. Okay, known known for being warm, if about rainy. Okay, so it all kind of ties together. And if that's not giving you enough of a clue as to who we're going to be discussing today, we are picking up two clubs from the book which Phil wrote about. We're going to be talking about firstly, Jewish Guild Football Club of South or formerly sorry of South Africa, and Club Atletico Corrales. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. If anyone wants to correct me, they can message in uh, who were from Paraguay. So. Back to doing a two-club episode. It's been quite a while since we've actually done one. It's been quite good having people on to interview recently. It obviously gives you guys who are listening a bit more of a bit more of an insight into the things that happen with these clubs, and obviously we like to branch it out. So I thought we'd move on to a two-club episode just so um, we could start ticking them off again. But we have loads of interviews lined up in the future, uh, and as always, you can check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and we're all. Also now on Apple Podcasts, and we'll be relaunching the blog this Sunday, just after the episode goes out. Are you excited for that, Phil? Oh, big time! Yeah, I mean, uh, if anybody's been following our Twitter, it's been popping off. Um, we put out a question there uh, or a tweet asking what forgotten club uh, would you bring back, um, and it's brought a lot of traction uh, to it, uh, a lot of new followers. So hopefully they'll uh, enjoy the content that we bring with our new team as well. Uh, that we've assembled from around the world uh, and we will be introducing them. I suppose people will probably already know of them by the time this podcast goes out. So, uh, but uh, yeah, very excited for the blog to come out and and some of the pieces and articles uh, that are going to be a part of it uh, as well, even coming into the future. Some of the ideas uh, that the lads have had uh, are going to be special and uh, there's loads of other stuff coming up as well. Um, so look out for all of that. Yeah, things are things are going really well. It's great to see we're we're really busy behind the scenes. Obviously, I'm kind of just doing all the, the the graphics and stuff like that as and when I can. But the 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 new guys in the team, obviously, all of our bloggers, they they are working on some fantastic stuff at the moment, and all of the projects that they've done before joining us have been brilliant as well. So I'm gonna add them to the link tree at some point. So if you get the chance, please go and check that out. It'd be a big help to them. Um. We like promoting our, our, our guys working and, and seeing what kind of stuff they get up to. So exciting times for the Forgotten Football Club's family. Absolutely. But what we'll do is we'll just jump straight into the episode for now. So, Phil, why don't you kick us off? Tell us about Jewish Kill Football Club, formerly of South Africa. Yeah, so um, Jewish Guilds, they were one of the older clubs uh, that, that I covered, basically, and uh, they caught the eye. The name Jewish Guild, I suppose, would, would catch the eye uh, from South Africa. South African football, if I, if I can just go into it a little bit, 
uh, I won't go too deep into it, was basically um, a prism of political, racial tensions, everything for, throughout history. So trying to sidestep through all of that was quite difficult. There is another club in the book uh, from South Africa, and we will cover them at some point, but I won't mention them as of yet. But they are more probably... Um, a racial story, if you, if you know what I mean, uh, than Jewish Guild. But Jewish Guilds were, were uh, an old club. They were a social and sports society that were founded back in 1897, uh, an organisation which included football, um, which the team was originally called the Old Arcs. So they weren't actually known as Jewish Guild uh, to start off with. It was called the Old Arcs. Uh, the club colours were blue and white, uh, being, uh, blue being the colour of their home kit and white, their away kit. Uh, in 1960, the name of the football team then changed to Jewish Guild. So already we're, we're seeing a, a change uh, of, of name. So they yeah, were called the Old Arcs. Then I mean, there's, um, there's a couple of uh, older photos on Google that you can look up. And if you go on Wikipedia, obviously it kind of comes up with a, a replication, if you like, of how their home kits would have looked. And I actually quite like the look, the look of their third kit. It's uh, it's blue and white. It's got white stripes on their arms, and it's got this sort of big yellow uh, diamond almost at the top. I suppose if anyone's aware of how uh, Airdrie Onions kits would look, or Airdrie United with the, the kind of big diamond come down, um, actually looks really cool. Uh, and those are adorned with yellow socks with blue stripes on them as well. So yeah, the the, the kits looked quite nice. Yeah, no, I mean uh, the uh, the old pictures that we got. Um... Look decent. Uh, now I actually couldn't ever find a crest of Jewish Guild. It's uh, one of two clubs out of the fifty that I could never find a crest for. So if anybody out there knows of Jewish Guild's crests or old arcs uh, crests or what they used, uh, please do send this in. Um, I don't know if Rory Rory's ever found it. Um, no, no. So when I was designing the graphics for this episode, I did have a quick look online to see if I could find a badge. Now, there was a couple of images that looked like they could have been badges, mm. but I think they're more linked to... Uh, so Jewish Guild FC were, were born from uh, a kind of wider sporting club in South Africa that still actually exists. Uh, Jewish Guild Sporting Club are, are still active and they're still an entity entity today yeah. um it's located in Linksfield, which is a suburb of johannesburg and they participate in lawn bowling competitions apparently not yeah. entirely sure if they do any other sports but i think there was a badge that was maybe linked to their their more sporting franchise in general um and there was another one that i got it was a mismatch it was for uh i think it was like the jewish guild of yeah. lawyers or, or something along those lines so uh, unfortunately couldn't find a badge for them but if any of our listeners are listening today and do have any photographs if they've got any old kits maybe uh, just on the off chance and please get in touch because we'd love to see them yeah yeah that uh, big time because as i said we've done our research but unfortunately uh couldn't find it but um back to their history only four years after jewish guild uh had got that name changed they actually uh uh reached the final of what was known in the domestic cup uh, called the Castle Cup. Have you ever heard the Castle Cup, Rory, in South Africa? The name rings a bit of a bell, uh, the Castle Cup. I can't say I'm overly familiar with it, though. Um, is it what is, or was it what became the, the NFL Cup afterwards, or has it always been named the Castle Cup? 
Uh, it's always been the Castle Cup. It was called the Castle Cup because of the bread, the sponsorship, basically, of Castle Breweries. Ah. Um, basically, that's why. Um, it was run by the Football Association of South Africa during the apartheid era. So already you're getting a little bit of a political uh, spiel there, um, which I tried to avoid when, when I was talking about this club. Um, between the years of 1959 and 1977, so it's actually not around anymore. Um, so it was only participated in there. But they got to the final of the Castle Cup. Um, it was only open to teams uh, of white South, uh, South Africans. So, yep. you know, there you go. The, again, the racial tension in South Africa uh, did spill over into football, unfortunately. I suppose it's it's one of those things when you when you discuss anything about apartheid era South Africa. I suppose is you, you can't avoid it. Yeah, no, um, you can't. That, that that's the thing, and unfortunately, it did spill into football. Yeah, unfortunately, and and uh, Jewish Gale, though, uh, did win it. Uh, they beat Durban City um, while uh, playing their football in the provincial league. So they were they weren't actually at the height of uh, you know South African football when they actually won the Castle Cup. So you could, I suppose you could say it was a, an underdog story there. Um, it was the first uh, time the club have ever won a major trophy. So um, some would say that the change of name to Jewish Guild uh, was a good omen uh, from old Arcs. And it seemed <laughs> to be, uh, you know, the future was bright uh, as they went into the higher leagues of South African football. Um, but obviously, as we know, they wouldn't be in this book if <laughs> the future was bright. Um, yeah, well, that, that's the thing, because they, uh, they kind of, they, they, they rose up and they, they managed to get to the the highest tier of the the white only league, um, yeah. but they weren't. Well, they were around for a long time, but they weren't necessarily at the heights of that league for very long. No, no. In in nineteen pardon me, in nineteen sixty nine, uh, when South Africa's national football league was created, uh, the second division, um, in the football pyramid, Jewish Guild were one of the ten football clubs. To join it, so they were one of the founding members, basically of that of that league. So therefore, there, there's a little bit of history already. They're always going to be uh, in South African football history. And um, the fourth season ended in a respectable mid-table finish of fifth out of the ten clubs. Uh, the club was determined to build on that season and uh, did so the following season when they were runaway winners of the league by nine points in 1970. So they did win the league, uh, the second division. Uh, so in the space of what, um. What six six years they had won a cup, yeah. a domestic cup, and uh, the second division. So relatively successful. I mean, they're more successful than some of the clubs that we've covered on on uh, in this book and on this podcast. To be honest, no, they they, they absolutely are, and I, I think that that that's part of what makes them stand out. Obviously, we'll get to other reasons later on, and um, because there's one big reason why they stand out, and probably why a lot of listeners would maybe recognise the name if they're from a certain era, um, but. In terms of the the clubs that we normally cover, more often than not, you'll see like this big dramatic rise, and then a league win, and then they'll play in Europe, and then they'll collapse again, or maybe they just kind of existed floating up and down between tiers for a while, uh, and not really winning much else. But Jewish Guild actually didn't didn't have too bad a record. They they, they had a couple of honours to their name, and I think that's what was, you know, obviously against the backdrop of of the the apartheid in South Africa, it was it was still. Still reasonably impressive for for what they managed to accomplish at that time because football in South Africa was was still getting off getting off the ground in some regards, uh, mainly as regards the whites only league. But you know that 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 was part of that as well. But um, 
they 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 done not too bad for the times the the times that they were around. Yeah, I mean, when they got promoted in nineteen seventy, they continued uh, in the the top flight um, of South African football. Uh, as we've already said, albeit uh, in apartheid South Africa, where only white players were allowed to play at the time, um, they competed for, uh, in the top division for the next five years. Uh, finishing mid-table most of the time, with their best finish coming in their final season in 1975, when they finished fifth out of 15 clubs that competed. But that was the end of Jewish Guild, uh, as after that season, they decided to merge with another football club called Johannesburg Corinthians. So Jewish Guild didn't, well, they did, well, they were gone from the original form. They didn't technically fully dissolve. They merged with Johannesburg Corinthians, who uh, themselves seem to be forgotten about. And the only information I could actually find about them was is that they had a few mid-table um finishes in the lower divisions. Um hmm. they, yeah, they were they were you know they, they were quite anonymous, really. Hansberg uh, Corinthians. There's not much about that. A truly a forgotten club, really, to be honest. Um, which is quite rare. Uh, so if anybody knows anything about Johannes, uh, Johannesburg Corinthians, please let us know. But uh, we found it very difficult uh, in our research up. It could be it could be quite difficult, and I suppose a lot of it was the same for Jewish Guild because with clubs that obviously uh, Phil's based in Ireland and I'm based in Scotland, uh, so if anyone is from South Africa and knows about these clubs, then, then please do get in touch because obviously for us, um, it's difficult. We can't we can't just up and go to these places. We have jobs and and, and we do other things, so it can be difficult to do any sort of ground level research. Uh, and that's before you even take into account if anyone actually has any of their like memorabilia or or things mm-hmm. to do with them. So uh, sometimes it can be incredibly difficult to track these clubs that aren't around anymore. And I think Jewish Guild definitely fall into that category. Yeah, big time. They, they were a club, um, as I said, that were selected because of their name. But there's also uh, one other reason why they were selected, and we're going to get onto that right now. But um. The newly, they, they, there was a newly formed club after that known as Guild Apollo, and uh, they when they were renamed again in 1977 as, you know, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. It, it sounds a bit Dutch, uh, Rudy Sport Guild, and they competed in the last NFL season. Uh, the non-racial league uh, was then created in uh, as the NFL. Uh, the White Only League and the NPSL, the Black Players League, merged together. Um, to create the National Premier Soccer League. So you're starting to see then in the 70s that things are starting to simmer down and football is starting to kind of merge together. White leagues, black leagues are starting to come together, um, which is a good thing, obviously, in football. Um, The most famous player to play for Jewish Guild, Rory. I know you know who it is. (laughs) I wonder if our listeners know who it is because I've asked this question to even the biggest football fans um, and they didn't know that this player actually played from, and he actually left Manchester United to go play for this club. Now he didn't play from long, and there was a bit of a um, controversy when he was with them. Of course, once you find out who it is, uh, you'll know why. Um, but this player, um, yeah, he played for Jewish Guild. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna say we should do this as another contest for our listeners, but to be quite honest, I'm, I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced that Wikipedia wasn't involved uh, the first time that we'd done a contest. Yeah. It'd be pretty easy to find out who this player was, so we'll just go ahead and say it. controversy followed him pretty much everywhere that he went. Um, obviously, very unfortunate what what happened to him. Um, 
for the the talent and the skill that he had, and and he had a a really really horrible illness as well. But it was none other than George Best himself played for what? Jewish Guild, uh, and he left as Phil said he left Man United to go and play for them. What year was that, Phil? Um, he left United in nineteen seventy four. Uh, went to play for Jewish Guild. Only played five competitive matches for them, uh, and not exi- uh, exhibition matches uh, like he would participate for other clubs. So George Best, as we all know, after he kind of left United, kind of travelled around and kind of just played for clubs for money. Um, a lot of forgotten clubs. <laughs> uh, George Best played for uh, famously here in Ireland. He played for Cork Celtic uh, three mm. times. He played for LA Aztecs twice. He had two spells at them. Uh, he played for Fort Lauderdale uh, Strikers, uh, another American team. Uh, San Jose Earthquakes, another American team. So he, he was taking the dollar in any way. Um, and do you know who the last cl- club was, uh, apart from Jewish Guild? The last club that he played for? Well, not the, I don't think it was the last club he played for, but the last uh, club on the list of forgotten clubs that he played for. Ooh, uh, it's an Australian team, I'm sure. It was uh, Brisbane. Brisbane Lions. No. Nope. Oh, um, I'll, I'll tell you, it's in Asia. It's in Asia? Yeah. I don't know. Go for it. Tell me. Okay, so a club called CB from Hong Kong. CB. Oh, oh of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, 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 he goes to Hong Kong, doesn't he? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he played He played for Jewish Guild uh, five times, scored once, of course. Uh, I, I assume he dazzles the fans who uh, saw him because just remember he's only left United, um, like so this is the club after he's left United, so he's still relatively like I mean every club he played for he usually did well anyway, because uh, George West was that type of player, but um he went down there anyway, um, but while he attracted the fans as I said, uh, he also drew a lot of criticism from the club's officials, um. I mean, I don't. I, people don't have to guess what he was doing. He was basically going out partying and stuff like that, not turning up to training. And when he was turning up to training, it was alleged that he turned up drunk uh, and kind of didn't take the whole uh, Jewish guilt thing seriously. Um, I mean, look, it, it is what it is. I mean, so as we've mentioned already, South African football at the time wasn't exactly uh, at its peak. Um, it wasn't, you know, a world-renowned league that he was playing in. So I'd only imagine George West went down there just to pick up the money, uh, have a good time, and uh, off he went. Um, I suppose because... it's, um, it's not dissimilar to how players do it today, and that, you know, they there's this perception that maybe players coming to the end of their careers will go to somewhere like Australia or, or China or something to pick up a wage. Obviously, George Best wasn't at the end of his career at that point. And no. the big difference as well, um, and one of the reasons that he was actually criticised um, quite a lot, more or less externally from South Africa, so from other countries, was because he was going to join this team in a whites-only league during the apartheid in South Africa. So he got a lot of criticism for it. He was criticised uh, when he moved there from people in the UK. It was criticised when he got there because uh, he, was, he was playing for this team in this white's only league and it was it was just going out on the on the on the drinking partying too much. So it really really caused a, a big stir when he moved there. Yeah and it didn't last long as I said he only played five times and then he was loaned back uh to Dunstable Town. Uh, now I don't <laughs> he was he was loaned back. Okay I, I didn't know he was loaned back. Yeah My he God. was loaned back. <laughs> 
it's a unstable town. Obviously, Jewish Gill didn't want to cancel the contract straight away. I'm sure there was some sort of contractual uh, obligations there and stuff like that. Um, but he went back to Dunstable Town and then he was loaned to Stockport Town as well. Um, not sure if Stockport Town is the same as Stockport County. Uh, I don't think I think they're separate teams. Pretty sure. Sounds they are. like sounds like they would be. Um, now I know it's Stockport County. Uh, the current Stockport Scott, my goodness, the current Stockport Town are a semi-pro team based okay. in Woodley. Uh, you just can tell that I'm reading off Wikipedia. But this team were founded in 2014. Uh, the Stockport Town. Okay. So the Stockport Town they played for potentially another forgotten club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there we go. <laughs> another one. <laughs> um, but um, I have a few interesting little facts now about Jewish Guild and some other players. Obviously, Best was the most high-profile player uh, to play for the club. Um, but there was other players that they played from, and um, probably many people might know them. Uh, but there was one Scottish player that played from. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you have a guess, Rory. I don't think you're gonna get it. And um, you're not allowed to look at Wikipedia. And uh, I can see you. So right, right, right. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not looking at Wikipedia. So Scottish player played for Jewish Guild. What year? He played in 1974. He played for Leeds, Hearts, um, and. He actually played for Cork Hibernians as well. Played for Cork Hibs as well. Played right for Leeds. Leeds Hearts. Oh, um... Oh, God. Phil, Phil's looking at me. I'm sitting holding my head because his <laughs> name's names on the tip of my tongue. Um, is it Dennis Law? No. That's a terrible guess. <laughs> no, 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 no. no it's, it's absolutely not. Um... Yeah, he actually um no, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't even Dennis Law that I was thinking of. It was the he played for. He's, uh, here's, here's, a, here's a bigger clue, right? He played for the Kaiser Chiefs and won quadruple with them in 1981. Okay, well, it wasn't who I was thinking of anyway. I was thinking of Billy Bremner. Go for it. Tell me, I have no idea. Sorry, no, he didn't. This is the next player that did. This player did play for Cork Hibs. He played for Leeds United and Hearts. He was a Scottish okay. right winger. He played ninety. His name is Tommy Henderson. Tommy Henderson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of course. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't have got that if you gave me a million guesses. <laughs> now the next player. The next player is not Scottish. He's Portuguese. So I don't know Portuguese. if you get this. He won the. He won. He he played for Jewish Guilds, but then he went on to play for Kaiser Chiefs, um, and won the quadruple with them in nineteen eighty one. Now I'm not. I'm not too familiar with what's the quadruple. I, I assume it would be the league, the domestic cup, the league cup, and some sort of charity shield, uh, maybe, uh, or, or African cup. Um, but that's what Kaiser Chiefs obviously were the dominant team. So this player, he's Portuguese. He was he, he's a big name because he obviously won the quadruple with Kaiser Chiefs, but he also played for Jewish Guild as well. Do you know who it is? No idea. I'm not too familiar with from Portuguese footballers, unfortunately. He's a Portuguese-born South African footballer. There's a, there's a mix right there. His yeah, name yeah. was Frank Pereira, uh, and he was also like he had a he had a good. And this is why actually uh, once again, kind of why I picked out this. Uh, he had a nickname, Frank Pereira. Frank Pereira. Okay, the what name actually rings a bit of a bell now. Okay, interesting. I have no idea what his nickname was. I remember reading it in the book and having a bit of a chuckle, but I can't remember. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's a, it's a funny little story, to be fair. Um, his nickname was Jingles. Because Jingles. <laughs> when he was 10 years old, apparently he used to run around with two pennies in his uh, boots. 
Oh, wow. They used to make a little noise. So they used to call them jingles uh, down in South Africa. Um, so, yeah, there you go. There, there's brilliant. a little folklore tale. If anybody knows about Frank Pereira and his uh, his uh, two pennies in his boots, uh, please let us know. <laughs> I doubt anybody does, but uh, that was just a little kind of uh, little snippet I got when I was kind of doing, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole with Jewish Guild and... It's good. Um, it's good. It's good trivia. Like it's a, it's, it's a good like pub quiz answer. You know. Uh, yeah. But if, listen, if if anyone has any photographs or any anything to do with um Frank Pereira, or if Frank Pereira is indeed listening and he still has those two pennies from his boots, please get in touch because we'd love to see them. Yeah, yeah. Imagine they were still about. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? That would be a collector's item for us, big time. I mean, you're gonna. You would assume that it's not. It's not the same two pennies. But even if it was. Then that would be surely one of the best bits of football memorabilia you could have if you know you were a follower of that team, of course. Oh, oh, Maybe not in the grand scheme of things. I but... wonder if he wore them when he played. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Running about the field and and you just hear this jingling. It'd be terrifying. Imagine you're a defender and he's trying to put you under pressure. You're trying to pass back to your keeper and you just hear this jingling coming up from behind you. It'd be terrifying. They're obviously they're, they're obviously good luck chance because as I said, he won the quadruple with Kaiser, Kaiser Chiefs, right? Mm. He played twenty nine times for Jewish Guild, scoring twenty three goals for them uh, in a year. So I mean, he was obviously a prolific scorer. Or the magic pennies were uh, giving him good luck. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know uh, to be honest, but uh, he obviously was prolific in South African football. And I'm sure anybody listening from South Africa or anybody who knows anything about South African football has probably heard of Frank Pereira. Uh, sounds like an interesting character, but that that was just like a little a little kind of snippet that I decided to put in the book because I like them kind of little stories. Um, there was one other player that I that I uh, picked up on that played for him. Um, the reason why I picked up on it was he was a former Liverpool goalkeeper who played for. He actually made uh, one cap for South Africa as well. You know who he is? You won't get it. No, no, I definitely won't. No, no idea. So, as I said, he was a former Liverpool goalkeeper. He made one cap for South African, so he was South African, obviously. His name was Doug Rudham. And he played for Jewish Guild in the 1950s. Oh, um, and okay. then Yeah, That's and then good. played for Liverpool. So he was actually he was actually decent for Liverpool. Yeah, so they they'd, they'd quite, a, quite a cast of players over the years from, yeah. from different, different leagues, different nationalities. Quite big as well, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, so I suppose you could say they're a forgotten clue because a lot of people would say, oh, well, it wasn't a big chapter. There wasn't much to go on. They did win, the the as I said, the Castle Cup, uh, which is probably the equivalent of the FA Cup back then. Um, or sorry, back then in South Africa. Um, they had players George Best, uh, Frank Pereira, as we just said, um, Tommy Henderson uh, and uh, Rudham as well. So they they obviously had other decent players I'd assume, just that we don't know of them because they were probably um only based in South Africa. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. There's a lot of a lot of players over the years who went to, you know, South Africa, Australia, America, Canada, and elsewhere because they, they wanted to play for the love of the game. They wanted to see some, you know, go somewhere to see how they ended their careers, um, go with their families, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I can imagine there's so many players that will have played in these places and maybe for teams that probably don't exist anymore in league systems that were just fledgling and just starting to get off the ground that we don't even know about. It'd be really, really, it'd be something that would be really cool to research actually. Um, could maybe speak to one of the bloggers and see if they could get on that and we could do a side project. Um, players who uh, played for teams that are either no, no longer there or, you know, did you know... This guy played for this team. I, there's a couple of Twitter accounts to do that. Actually, um, they're really, really, really good. 
uh, to look yeah. through if you've ever seen them before. I can't remember their names, but it's obviously it's, it's recent, so I remember it, but everyone forgets that Carlton Cole was in the books at Celtic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I remember seeing him in a Celtic jersey, yeah. Terrible, yeah, terrible, know. terrible footballer. For us, great footballer oh, otherwise. West Ham fans would probably say different. Um, but even um, I, I kind of up, uh, on a side topic there, uh, I got my uh, Joker IT uh, program, uh, match day program from when they played West Ham uh, in the Intertoto Cup. And Joker, oh, excellent, are one of our favorite clubs, of course. Uh, the one sixteen percent mm-hmm. hooligan boys are one of our favorite groups. Um, but uh, a few interesting players are actually on that uh, on that team. Uh, West Ham. Now we don't want to go off topic because Joker IT have had their moment. <laughs> um, but uh, I just want to say Jimmy Bullard was in that team. Uh, oh, really? Okay. Frank Rio Ferdinand, Joe Cole. Um, so there was a few, you know, there were a decent team that played that Joker IT team. Just wanted to throw that out there because I have it in front of me and it's just literally staring. Yeah, yeah. Joker here's, yes, here's one for you before, um, since we've went off the tangent, this will be the last bit of the tangent, we promise you. Um, but which uh, which Celtic midfielder actually? Oh, sorry. I'll rephrase the question. Though. I don't want to make it too easy for you. So, Callum McGregor went on loan to Notts County before he broke through into the Celtic first team. Can you guess who he played alongside while he was on loan? Notts County. Saul yep. Campbell. No, not Saul Campbell. So, I think Callum McGregor went on loan there. 2014, maybe 2015. Was this when North County had like loads of money and Shangar and Erickson managed them for like two days? Um, may have been, don't think so though. North County, I'm thinking Edgar Davis, but I know he played for Barney. Um, no, I'll give you one more guess. North County, so it wasn't Saul Campbell, wasn't Edgar Davis. Um, Alan Shearer. No, Alan Smith. No, not Alan Smith. You're uh, you're going a bit far back. So Callum McGregor, uh, he was on loan at Notts County and he had a, mid- a midfield partnership with Jack Grealish. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Midlands, Jack would have been around around that time, yeah. I yeah. think that's when he, he was he was kind of developing there and he'd been sent out and loaned to to try and develop. As far as I'm aware, anyway, obviously, I, oh, the only time I see him now is in a city jersey. And obviously, he's a big Villa boy, so... But yeah, Midlands, it would make sense. So yeah. that's where he played. Um, I mean, do you want to talk? Do you want to talk about the next club now? <laughs> <laughs> we had off complete topic there. Uh, we're, we've gone from Jewish guilds, South Africa. This is why we get guests on to keep us. This in is check. exactly we... they, they they keep us um they keep us in check is is because otherwise that's the thing we we came on we we said we we would record this episode about two hours before we actually started because we ended up talking about all sorts yeah. um <laughs> genuinely awesome. just it just ends up going down a complete rabbit hole so yeah. uh, any final things to say about Jewish Guild Phil any final bits yeah. of trivia or no look they went because of the merger uh, with Johannesburg uh, Corinthians who as I said, not much information on them. They, they, I think they got to a semi-final of uh, a cup in the sixties. They were kind of a mid-table team, never really challenged. Um, and yeah, Jewish Gales then just ceased to exist as a football club. But as you rightly said, they still have a sports organisation uh, that plays bowls and and stuff like that. So in a way, they they still live on, but uh, the football team don't. And um, will they ever be back? Don't think so. 
But uh, I mean, look, it, it's a, it was a nice little story to have in there. Um, and as I said, I only covered two clubs in Africa, the continent, unfortunately, because the continent of Africa is quite hard to research. Hopefully in, in further projects, I'll, I'll get more stuck into it. But uh, we do have another club from South Africa, which is slightly longer. Uh, has more name changes and is a little bit more controversial than Jewish Guild, but uh, they'll still uh, be one of the forgotten clubs. Yeah, well, we'll I think we'll try and get an interview for those guys. They they would be a really good one to talk about. I'm quite excited for that episode when it comes around actually, but uh, we'll we'll get onto them as and when they come up uh, once we've managed to plan everything and get interviews for them. But moving on, the club that I'm going to be telling you guys a little bit about is a club from Paraguay called Club Atletico Carales. Now, obviously, I don't know if I'm butchering that pronunciation. Please correct me if it is incorrect. It's kind of a similar situation here where there's there's a lot of information about Atletico Carales, but there's still not an awful lot that's known about them. So similar to Jewish Guild... When I tried to find a club badge for them, came up Trump's, did find a couple of badges. I think one was, however, for a team in Argentina, and another yeah. one was for an amateur team who were also from Argentina. So that was a little bit frustrating. Um, And yeah, I mean, just when I was trying to find any photographs of them, it, it, nothing really came up. And I kind of, I, I can understand why, given the years that they were around. But uh, again, there doesn't even seem to be any indication of what this team's away colours were, so they're a little bit of a mystery. Again, countries like Paraguay and you know nations that aren't necessarily known for the football, researching historical elements of their football can be a little bit difficult at times. But basically, to kick off, Atletico Corrales were founded in 1919. They existed for 30 years. They ended up dissolving in 1949. And they were founded off the back of and I'm, I'm saying this in its English name, the American Company of Light and Traction, uh, which is a company in charge of the power or electricity distri distribution tramway services in Paraguay. Mm -hmm. Not even going to try and pronounce the um, the Spanish name for that because I will... Yeah, <laughs> not going to happen. So the club was financed by the company and then they started playing in lower divisions of the, the Paraguayan football setup. So you've seen this a couple of times in... Scotland so there was a team that existed in Glasgow they were called Glasgow Corporation Transport FC was speaking to one of our followers on Twitter about them very briefly last night mm. there were clubs that were founded off the back of factories and shipyards and stuff in Glasgow in fact Meadowbank Thistle who went on to become Livingston they were actually founded by uh, a group of people who worked for Lloyds Bank within Edinburgh City Centre. So it, it still kind of happens, and you see this all over the world. I mean, Northern Ireland, for instance, you've got Harland and Wolf. They're yeah. still going, as far as I'm aware. So uh, nothing really new in that regards. So they did manage to get promoted to the first division in 1929. They won what was called the Intermedia, which was the second division, and they won the tournament there, and then they stayed in the top flight until 1941. So they had quite a good spell, actually. So that's, what, 12 years? 12 years they managed to stay in the top flight, which is pretty good going. Mm. Uh, as we know, clubs that are founded or that are financed off the back of these big companies often don't work out. Not saying always, because there are some exceptions, and some of them end up becoming their own kind of entities, but... For the most part, I found that they don't tend to work because their finances are so intrinsically tied to the finances of the company. But, you know, that, that that's pretty good going. So 
Eventually, they, they changed their name to Atletico Corrales. He used to play under the name of CALT, which was the um, which was the name of the company or the, the abbreviation of the company. Pronounce it, I, should I, say. Dare, I dare you to pronounce that. <laughs> are you going to make me? Are we going to do it? Well, we've portrayed everything else, so you might as well. Yeah, fair enough. So I'm going to go with the Campania Americana de Luz y Traccion. Oh, that was good, yeah. That it was, was all right. The last word sounded French. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Accents are terrible. Uh, so, yeah, so they played, we'll do it in a broad Scottish accent, the Campania Americana de Luz y Traccion, Traccion, whatever you want to call it, C-A-L-T. But then they changed to Club Atletico Corrales. Uh, that was because in 1935, the Paraguayan FA decided to prohibit the use of company names for clubs quite interesting in itself something mm. that might be an extra point of interest further down the line um not something that you actually see a lot of uh football associations do um not until much later anyway so in 1949 and this is where it's kind of interesting with atletico Corrales because there's a sort of different element at play here whereas other teams formed off the back of companies might fold because the company folds or, or vice versa Atletico Corrales actually ended up going under because the government decided to nationalise the electricity services yeah. and therefore the company they were based on came to an end. So it's it's like this, this really strange dynamic that's going on. It's like, oh, well, we're, we're, right, we're nationalising this and obviously I, there's absolutely no problem with that. And then they just said, oh, okay, bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, the football club uh, suffered because of, because of it. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's really, really, really interesting. Um, but the, the stadium which at the time was considered one of the most modern stadiums at the time in Paraguay, was was eventually bought by the uh, Paraguayan army. And today it is known as the Escuela de Education Fisia de la Fuerzas Armadas, or the Physical Education School of the Army. So there you yeah. go. Um, I mean, the reason why I picked this club, and I, I, I kind of wanted to get a bit of a mix from South America, it would have been easy for me to pick, you know, five from Brazil, five from Argentina, and, and that would be that, because most people, when they think of South America football, only think of, you know, damn Uruguay, maybe throw them in. Uh, obviously, we've covered La Paz from Bolivia, uh, but the Paraguayan one was an interesting one because... They just seem to be a mess. <laughs> the Paraguayan FA and everything about it just it, it made me think the FAI was was beautiful. Um, because if you if you read in the book there, there was one stage, one of their seasons, because it only went off uh, like half of the clubs started halfway through it or something like that. One of their seasons went on for 13 months. 13 months. It actually 13 started, months. Yeah, it started in the third of May. 1931, I didn't end until the 26th of June, 1932. Now imagine that happens in modern day football in, in the Premier League or something like that. To be murder. People well, would go, well, fans wouldn't go mad. Fans would go mad. The, the closest thing that we probably had to that was when was when the Premier League and the Bundesliga returned after COVID. Yeah. That that's the closest thing we could have had to that. 13 months, that's a, such a long season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and you have to remember, this is in the thirties, so I can't imagine these lads were, uh, you know, professionals getting paid, you know, thousands uh, mm. or millions like to do it. Like, so they're probably just playing, playing ball, really. Um, they finished. I think they finished eleventh that season. So they, it wasn't like you know they 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 broke records or anything even that season. So, uh, but twelve months that that kind of stuck out to me. Uh, as as you said, then the Paraguayan FA. Uh, well, it wasn't really the Paraguayan FA. 
um, it was more the Paraguayan government that kind of ended them because they nationalized the uh, the um the electricity board or whoever it was, was in mm. charge of them. Although I'm saying that the Paraguayan FA didn't let companies own uh football clubs, so you know it all it all. Well, I think they, 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 they. I don't think well from what the from the information we have. I don't think they specifically say they wouldn't allow companies to own football clubs. They just couldn't. The clubs just couldn't use the company's name. Sorry, username. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's again it's it's something that we'd like to enter, to to research more because I think one of the the best things about researching forgotten clubs is more often than not you'll end up with more questions than you do answers, yeah. and it always leads to new areas that you can delve into. Why did this happen? Why did this team go where they did? You know what what are the different dynamics at place here? Um. And if I, if I, I just think it's fascinating that that happened. But also, what I would like to know is, I know when companies go under, if they've been dedicated to one service for so long, you know, they might not want to come back. But if it's a company as big as that that are responsible for electricity and tramways, surely they could have reformed in another way and then set another club up? Or could the club have continued? Or, or, you know, why didn't they just move the finances to the football club? It's really... It's, Super, well, super interesting. I, 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 yeah, I suppose the best example I can give of that is actually in Ireland. Uh, so we've had a few. Uh, Jacobs, obviously the Cracker Company, they, they had a football club, League of Ireland, they, they pulled out. Um, St. James's Gate, uh, probably the most uh, famous. St. Yeah, James's Gate, yeah, yeah. yeah St. James's and they're Gate. gone now as well. Uh, and they, they, you know, could have pumped a lot of money into it. But apparently they, the, the Guinness family or whoever they are, um, who owns it? I can't remember the name. Uh, just didn't want to put the money in anymore. Um, wow. It's a shame because St. James's, as we said, uh, as we mentioned in our League of Ireland episode, were the first club to win the FAI Cup mm. and the uh, League of Ireland. So there, there was a bit of a basis there. So it is an interesting question. Um, why that Paraguayan, uh, you know, the electricity, we call them electricity and tramline board because I think that's basically what they were. Um, yeah. why, why they didn't continue the club. Um, maybe they just. I don't, I, to be honest, Listen, the, the, the way that nationalisation works and, and the way that sometimes it happens within governments is it can be quite aggressive and it can be quite violent. Other times it can be peaceful. So we would really need to do more research in, into why that didn't happen. I'll ask you a question there, Phil, because you just reminded me of something when you mentioned mm. St. James's Gate. Are you are you an enjoyer of the sweet millions? Yeah, why? Yeah. Do you remember? So uh, the, the the Millions factory in Scotland is based in Greenock, so they sponsored Greenock Morton for a while, and I think they were kind of under the table giving them quite a bit of money as well. Uh, there were some rumours about that, but yeah, for a while, all on all of Greenock Morton's sponsorships and under jerseys, they had the Millions logo right across it. Class. And Class. the jerseys, those jerseys are really, really sought after by the fans because they're, they're like a really, really cool bit of um, memorabilia. Another interesting thing about Corrales as well, and I don't know if we've come across this with any other clubs. Obviously, this happened, and teams have done this constantly in the earlier days of football, particularly in the early 1900s. But in 1939, Atletico Corrales was actually given permission by the Paraguayan FA to skip that year's tournament, which yeah. was more or less their league, so that they could go on a tour of Latin America. Mm. And that, that tour remains to this day the longest tour taken by any Paraguayan team. Have you ever come across that before with any other club? Um, the only club I think, and we covered them, Dick Cares, but they weren't actually in a league, so yeah, it was a bit different. On, on uh, yeah, I, I suppose, like, specifically though, yeah. withdrawn from a league to go and do like a long um, tour. 
The only thing, the only one I can give is maybe when United pulls out of the FA Cup to go play in the World Club Championship. That 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 happens. I yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. No, that that was another little uh, aspect that when I read it, I went, "Oh, this is this is interesting." They went to, I think they played a Panama uh, eleven. Um, they were they mm-hmm. were playing, you know, basic countries. So um, I'll list them. Um, I'll list off all the countries they visited. The tour yeah. lasted a year and fifteen days. So it was from fourth of April, nineteen thirty nine, to the nineteenth of April, nineteen forty. They played in exhibition matches in Argentina, Chile, mm. Cuba, Mexico, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Colombia, the Dutch Antilles, as they were known at the time, Suriname, Venezuela, and Ecuador. And that's a huge amount of traveling for that time yeah. period. And it's a huge tour as well. Apparently, they were quite well prepared for the tour. They had quite a good performance in the first division tournament in 1938. They had quite a good squad and they'd signed a few players to bring along with them as well. Uh, they planned to take them to other countries uh to the players named here are uh Lino Taioli and Alejandro Mariscotti from Argentina. So they were attracting teams from uh, internationally uh, sorry they were attracting players from other yeah. nations as well. There was another player called Luis de la Fuente who I believe is quite well known. He was a Mexican player and another player called Sabalos or Sabios from Ecuador. So the signings were actually made possible again because of the wealth generated by the board of directors from the company. Which makes it even, which makes this story again. I remember writing about it and thinking, this is this is weird. They're attracting players from all over, and these lads are obviously not going. Uh, we said earlier they're not getting paid thousands. Obviously, they're not getting paid. They're not millionaires, right? Like today's footballers, but there were obviously these players were obviously being offered something to 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 go on these travels. Like they're not doing yeah. it for their the the. Well, maybe they were doing it for the love of football. Uh, I don't know. Back in back in the thirties and early forties. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting. Interesting that they went off, they done this kind of um it, it almost seemed like it was a kind of a recruitment drive. They were going well, to the and trying to pick out the best players. Well, you say that, I suppose you can look at it a couple of ways in my mind, right? So you could say, you know, they're a football team just like any other. They're for the people from the town or for the area, they come along and support them, they sign players, etc. 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 But if the board of directors, and because of link to the company, if the board of directors of the club and company are so well off they feel that they can just pull the team from the tournament and take them on a jolly? You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you feel the same. It's kind of like, well, are you taking this seriously? Are you just trying to show off how much money you've got? But it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that it looks like they were, they were trying to do like this big recruitment drive, but it was actually the opposite. The tour was a success, but even though they won several friendly tournaments, they actually sold some of their players along the way. Obviously, this was well before uh, transfer yeah. windows and stuff like that. So... Presumably, they were just stopping off at towns and countries, playing games against these teams, and then selling a player to them. It's it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it was. It, I think it was a bit of a bug. They were collecting players. It was like they were collecting players and then selling them all. And yeah, it was. It was a bizarre tournament. Um, because first of all, the length of it. Um, second of all, they they pulled out of their own domestic league, uh, which they were allowed to do by the Paraguayan FA. Uh, I, I would assume that there was some sort of money exchange for that, uh, but that's mm-hmm. allegedly, we don't want, we already have a list of enemies, we don't need the Paraguayan FA uh, to be on top of us as well. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was an interesting one. Uh, they obviously, again, it, they were owned by the national, elect- well, it wasn't national at the time, but the electricity board and tram line, how much money does a company need? Uh, like, I mean, surely they were making money left, right and centre just by doing what they do. Why do they need a football club to do it? 
Well, I suppose it, it, it links into a lot of the history of Latin America now. I've read a bit of Latin American history. I'm not entirely clued up on it, so I'm not going to make any big, you know, raising statements or anything. But as far as I'm aware, in that time period in Latin America, you had a lot of companies owned by people either from the United States or North American countries, or even some South American countries as well, who were really taking a lot of the natural resources and a lot of the wealth out of the countries they were working in. So it could just be a case that they founded the football team because maybe they didn't know what to do with their money. It was really, really, really just an interesting one. Maybe it was something that initially started out for their workers and then it just kind of spiraled and the, the, the directors knew they had enough money. We would really need to do a deep dive into the history of football in Paraguay to find out why, because I think it's something that's really interesting. Um, now, they visited 11, uh, 11 other countries on the tour, as we said. Now, according to the stats, which are from one of their own sources, they played 53 games, they won 30 of those, they drew 9, and they lost 14. That's quite a good record. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, and they would have been playing teams from, like, Buenos Aires, um, you know, uh, Colombia, Med- Medallion. Um, where else? Where else would... Uh... I'm trying to think of a couple of things. If you're going to if you're going to Chile, then you would have probably came up against uh, teams from Santiago as well. Yeah. Um, all over the place. They, they they literally went went everywhere, but they scored 159 goals. Apparently, had 121 goals scored against them. So you know, maybe a bit of a glass cannon approach. Their top goal scorer was a gentleman by the name of Alberto Casco. Want to take a guess at how many goals he scored across the the entire tour, Phil? Uh, 69 <laughs> I don't know just randomly I don't know why I picked that number I don't know why you picked that number either Um, no oh, really? uh, not well listen you could be right it says more than 40 so oh, okay. we'll round it down to 40 more than 40 obviously leaves quite a big margin it could be anything from 41 to 1 million oh, obviously not going to be that it, it could be 69 <laughs> but, uh, Somehow, some we'll stick with forty. Okay, yeah. so but I suppose it's 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 good. It's a good return. Forty goals out of one hundred and fifty nine scored for the full team across thirty wins. So you know, quite a quite a clinical finisher. Now, obviously, they then came back from from the tour in nineteen forty, and they folded nine years later because of the nationalisation. But I think this what I quite liked about Atletico Corale is, and it was the same with a, a few clubs in the book, is that no matter how much you find about a team you're always going to want to know more. Mm. And I think this club are just so interesting for the way that they were founded, the tour that they went on, um, and how little is known about them. I think that's what really makes them interesting is that there's always going to be avenues to go down to explore them further. What, what I find interesting as well, and I don't put this in the book because I kind of like to let uh, people who are reading the book uh, let their imagination kind of uh, run away with them with this, is how many fans did Atletico Corrales actually have? Like we talk about their stadium. Mm. So the stadium was one of the more modern stadiums. Uh, did their fans travel around for that tournament? <laughs> Can you imagine uh, an ultra group, a Paraguayan ultra group in the, in the 30s, 40s, uh, going around for that tournament? And if they did have that many fans, why did their fans not keep the club going? Well, they, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question. And I'll go back to the thing that you said about the stadium. The stadium is obviously uh, one of the most modern of its time. Hmm. But if your club is financed, by one of the biggest and wealthiest corporations within the country, 
then you're going to have the most modern stadium, aren't you? They're going to be bankroll yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you, I suppose you need to look at it that way as well. Really, really, really fascinating club. I actually really enjoyed the the, the small chapter about them just because I was reading it. And I, I, again, I just said, I want to know more about this. This seems like uh, the type of thing I would love to just like take a really, really deep dive into one day and, and, and learn more about. Found it really, really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, as I said, the Paraguay FA seems a bit of a a bit of a mess. Like, I mean, having league leagues um going on for thirteen months, then letting clubs go off for thirteen months uh, uh tournaments and just leaving the league and and just kind of doing mad stuff really, and then mm. uh, the club going because and then coming up with rules that you know uh football clubs couldn't be named uh by you know factories or, or or businesses and stuff like that. Like I don't know where they came up with these kind of kind of things, but they just sound like madmen, really, the Paraguayan FA at the time, just kind of making up as it goes along. Um it's quite quite a long going quite a long going on with it. Um yeah. did you actually did you manage to find any other forgotten clubs or lost clubs from Paraguay when you were doing your research? Um no. To be honest, when I went into that part of uh, the world as I said, it was really dominated by Brazilian and, mm. and Argentinian clubs, um, which are you know are the biggest. But well, I mean Uruguay could have a have a say there as well. Um, but I I never really delved into Uruguay to be honest. See, the, the thing is about all these clubs is they all were were so far back, and there was so many complications, whether it being with their FAs or the league systems that are in, say, Brazil, Argentina, South America in general, Paraguay, uh, Bolivia, you know, um, Chile, all these places, their league systems are so complicated that yeah. writing about them, when you're writing about them, you get lost, right? You literally have you to do. do it over and over again when you're writing about these clubs. And it's only South America that, that I really felt about that. So there's five clubs from South America that I wrote about, uh, not including Mexico. Mexico is obviously Central America. Um, but in them five clubs in Paraguay, Argentina, Brazil, and Bolivia, um, I just found that while the clubs themselves were interesting and they all had little interesting stories, like La Paz playing at the high altitude, and um, Paraguay there going on, uh, Atletico Corrales going on, um, that 13 month uh, tour of basically South America and Central America, uh, the Argentinian club that I covered, uh, which was um, Palermo, for example. Uh, quite quite an interesting story there. Um, Barra Football Club in Brazil. Um, Barra Football Club, or I, I was because I was looking at those and I thought I wonder if we could get an interview for them, but there's not a huge amount of name either. No. Barra Football Club, and, and I think and this is, yeah, this is the thing. So each club would have their own mini story. There's not a lot on them, but the stories that that are there have to be really told uh, or are intriguing. And I felt that even though you know. The you know, Electrical Crowley was only two and a half, three and a half pages. It was still a story that people would read and go, Oh, that's that's quite really interesting. It's something that not people yeah. I, I could imagine not a lot of people listening would know that uh, there was a Paraguayan club in the late 30s, early 40s, went on a tour uh, of South America, Central America for a year uh, and mm. had left their league uh, by consent of the Paraguayan FA. Uh, so it is an easy, it is very neat. It's, it is an issue. You, you, you will be forgiven, dear listener, if you did not know that before uh, reading the book or listening to the podcast. Yeah. But um, I think, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think part of the part of the interest in doing this and part of our enjoyment of doing this is it's obviously, you know, we said from a researching lost clubs from nations, which aren't necessarily known for their football and greatness. 
by doing this research and by writing about it, shedding a spotlight on them as well, it's giving people information they mm. might not have had before, so and uh, information they might not have known was available. So the only thing I ever knew about Paraguay football before I delved into it, I actually remember seeing them play Ireland uh, a few years ago. They played in the RDS, strangely enough, uh, before a World Cup. Um, not for Ireland, Paraguay were going to the World Cup. Um, and a certain Roque Santa Cruz used to play for them. Um, so he was the only uh, thing yeah. really knew about Paraguay football. Um, so it, it you know, it's got I, I wanted to delve into these type of countries, and I, you know, in further projects, as I said, uh, I will be going into more detail into countries and continents, I suppose, like South America, Asia, and Africa. Well, the first book is you know, a lot centralized a lot in Europe, um, because you know i'm from europe and that and that, yeah. that that's where that's where a lot of the football knowledge would come from uh, i would like to delve into more south american african asian but particularly south american uh, there is a common theme uh, with all the south american uh, clubs that kind of went um and it's really down to just just kind of not not lack of interest but a kind of they suddenly went like it was mm. gone there was no kind of like you know uh, they they hung on for like a, a few years and then you know there was a bit of an uproar from the fans. It's just they were gone. <laughs> they mm. just literally was one minute they're there playing, next minute they're gone. And it's usually down to the fact that they just don't want to put the effort in anymore. And and yeah. in South American football, if you look at the league systems, even today, even reading the league systems, or trying to follow the trying to follow as a fan the league systems looks absolutely exhausting <laughs> so i can only imagine playing in it going oh are we gonna win you know if we win we got promoted like i mean i think i mentioned in was it uh in brazil uh at one stage there was 102 clubs fighting for one promotion spot uh in like Serie c or something like that yeah that's right that's right so that's that to me is just madness and but that's yeah. the madness that goes on in south america and um, the league systems do not favor uh, football clubs really it's kind of like you get one shot at it um, if you don't want to put the effort in goodbye um, well, certainly uh, it's certainly very very complicated and they're actually, they are making moves to be fair to try and make them a little better I think the, the AFA in Argentina are getting quite a bit of stick for how they're trying to organise um, from what I've seen just from accounts that I follow uh, based in Argentina or that focus on Argentine football I think they, they, they get a lot of stick quite a lot of the time but yeah um, and yeah, it's just it's it's great being able to to listen to, to read about all these clubs and and research them and and look into how they went bust and because it tells a story about the wider context of football in that country in the time as well. I was actually going to mention I'm currently on the last chapter of a, a really good book. It's also through Pitch Publishing. It's called Power Players by Ronnie Blaschke. If any of the listeners have heard of it, please pick it up because it's brilliant. Again, Phil might not be your bag too much, but it's about football during times of war and revolution and propaganda and stuff like that. And it shines a light on a lot of clubs from uh, the Middle East in particular, uh, parts of Russia, different micronations. It's really, really, really brilliant. It goes right into how football is organised in these countries and it's really, really good. And I'd like to think at least that the work that you've done in the book and, and us being on the podcast kind of helps you know, play into that story uh, and maybe eventually helps to do the same thing. That obviously goes as, as a kind of more about uh, the politics involved in it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a bit, it's a, a different, different niche to ours, if you like. So it's yeah. a lot. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely a different aspect, uh, uh, a different angle. Uh, I've seen plenty of books like that. I think Chris Lee, um, Origin Stories, he also wrote the Origin Stories, yeah, or uh, Defiant as well, which is um, uh, takes a look at a, a kind of left wing club looking at the the fascism and stuff like that. Um, I have to still read it, but in South America, um, I mean to be honest as well, like uh, as I said, there's only five clubs in South America. However. There doesn't seem to be a lot of just uh, just five football clubs in South America. <laughs> Sorry, the first football club <laughs> I covered. There's way there's there's millions of them. Uh, I know, I know. There doesn't seem to be now. I could be totally off, uh, totally wrong because I know these countries do have obviously political um affiliations and stuff like that. But when I done these five clubs, I never really came across any kind of political upheaval or anything like that. Um, in regards to any of these clubs disappearing, um, I mean, look, obviously these countries have had their their wars and political upheaval and all that. I mean, Argentina, the World Cup, uh, Argentina all especially, yeah. we all know that story. Um, but did it affect Argentinian football clubs? I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't see it when I was researching. I'd probably have to d- dig a little bit deeper. I'm I'm sure there is some sort of uh, circumstance or situation with it. Uh, yeah, there's there's a couple of things that I've read about that. I don't want to make again. I don't want to make any big statements because I need to do my research properly. But as far as I'm aware, in the context of Argentina, there were some clubs clubs that didn't agree with certain politicians uh, vanished overnight, and but for the most part, a lot of them did. Um, so. They stuck around, but again, I, please don't take my word for that. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I'm not informed by any means. I still need to dig into it. It's just from what I've read so far. So, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, and then there's other countries that I didn't even go near, like Colombia. Um, now I have researched football clubs in Colombia. Uh, let me tell you, I think if we were to do a Colombian club, and I have looked at it, and uh, in my next project, uh, I have one or two Colombian clubs. However, <laughs> the stories between behind them, uh. I, I'd probably need to be careful <laughs> what I say in that regard. Or yeah, I might never, never be allowed to go to Colombia ever again because <laughs> stories behind some of them, uh, we don't need the Colombia Mafia after us, Rory, because we yeah. have enough of that. It's against, uh, against the backdrop of obviously being on, against the backdrop of uh, corruption. a referee who gave a bad decision when he'd actually been bribed by the cartel and they came into the stadium and, and, and shot the place up and shot loads of players and fans and so, so it's it's really, really, really grim stuff sometimes. Um but you know when we're doing that research we'll 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 cross that bridge and we'll come to it and, and we'll see at the time. But yeah, it, it, sometimes it can be really, really difficult. Um it can be really difficult finding information. Obviously if we do ever come across a club like that, we don't want to then say to people for an interview because we don't want to put them through the trauma of that yeah. happening again, you know, unless they're maybe someone who was born after it or as uh, a historian on it or so, you know, so it can be tough sometimes as well. You're absolutely right. And 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 sometimes in, in South America, you come across clubs like that as well. Um, but there's some other great books out there that kind of delve more into the, the reasoning mm. behind it. And the, the, the certainly you know a, a really really good level of research as well uh again it's just it's it's not our niche it's something different you know, but... we'll, we'll continue to tell the stories of the forgotten football clubs and um look there's plenty more in the book i think we still have another 
28 clubs or something like that to cover from the book yeah. and then there's thousands more to cover around the world so uh, we will be covering them on the podcast obviously uh, and on the blog that is coming out on the 28th uh, yeah this- 28th so it'll be this Sunday so yeah, well, the books focus on the stories of these clubs that aren't with us anymore. We're all doing our little side projects. You can obviously check those out on Twitter when I uh, manage to upload them onto the link tree. Um, the blog will be focusing on football history across all aspects. We've got people who are really into visiting stadiums. We've got people who are avid kit collectors, historic kit collectors, collecting fan stories. You know, it's it's really really branching out, and and it's all came from from this wonderful book that that Phil's written. But the 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 overall the end objective, if you like, the overall goal is to just be talking about football history and going through everything. And that's the wonderful part about it, because through telling and talking about the history of it, we find out that there's a lot more that actually influenced the game today, and that's where the roots lie in it. So you know, the book talks about the stories here in the podcast. We expand on it a little bit more when we get our interviewees in. We 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 kind of brush out into the themes and talk about those common themes uh, and now on the blog we're going to be having stories from all over the world talking about loads of different stuff it's really exciting I'm, I'm looking forward to, to reading the blog posts I haven't been through them yet um, obviously they're, they're not released yet but I know uh, the team have been been sending them across to you and uh, Dave Proudluff is looking after the, the blog so I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading them it's going to be brilliant yeah, big time. And then there's obviously other little projects uh, away from, well, not from football, but uh, uh, football related that uh, we are working on and hopefully we'll be announcing them fairly soon. Fairly, Hope. fairly soon. And these are, so. big, these are big, big announcements. Uh, I don't want to pick, actually, no, I'm not going to say anymore because I'm not big it up if like, and then when people hear it, they might go, oh, is that it? Uh, no, it's, it's really exciting news. Uh, and I, I'm really, really, I'm quite proud of this, uh, these announcements that we're going to be giving uh, out mm-hmm. over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully they'll make the hits that I last uh, tweak uh, got um, where we just asked basically who, what forgotten football club would you bring back? Uh, the amount of uh, responses we got, uh, brilliant, unbelievable. We've been going through yeah. every single one. We tried to reply to every single one except for one club that people uh, mentioned a few times that we will never talk about. We're actually going to call it the club who shall not be named because they're never going to be mentioned on this podcast, on this blog, uh, everywhere. So if you ever mention them, we don't reply to you. You know what club we're talking you about. You mentioned them. Unless I'm saying nothing. Um, <laughs> no, that that's the thing. And obviously, we we put that tweet out. And to be fair, I'm, I'm not sure if what we're expecting, but you know, we we that's the thing. We put tweets out because we like speaking to people, right? We like engaging with with our followers. We like engaging with our listeners. But genuinely, so so grateful to see the amount of people who responded yeah. to that and to talk to so many people. And there was a guy that I was speaking about that helped me with one of my side projects for football clubs in Scotland found out about so many clubs we didn't know existed, heard so many stories. It was genuinely, genuinely fantastic. So please, if you ever want to get in touch with us for anything, just go on Twitter and send us a message and we'll get back to you. Because 100%. We will always get back to you. Uh, It might take a day or two, uh, but there's always going to be somebody. We we are a well-built team now. Uh, so, you know, there's always going to be somebody. And if you want to, you know, even join our team, uh, if you if you think you have the football and knowledge, history knowledge uh, to join our team uh, and have a passion for writing as well, uh, please do DM us uh, on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, our Instagram is also uh, doing very well, thanks to Rory and his graphics and stuff like that. So that's blossoming now as well. 
Uh, so things are really going well, Rory. Uh, the podcast is getting bigger and better. We're getting more followers. We're getting more listens. It's uh, it's all good. I feel like now we're bigging ourselves up. Are we bigging ourselves? Yeah, look, I think we should big ourselves up. Because well, I will, I will say... Do it, so I think maybe we, we should... Maybe a little bit. I will, I will say we're on episode 13, so let's not try and jinx it too much. Things yeah. could very much go all downhill from here. No, we obviously, we, we're, we're very aware that, you know, everyone who's been engaging with us and listening and, and, and following. And obviously, it's exciting for us. That's why we're bigging ourselves up and, and talking about it, because it's, it's, it's just great seeing people enjoying the content that we're putting out. But above all, we couldn't be more grateful and we couldn't be more thankful for anyone who's liked to tweet, listened to an episode messages helped us out with something like we're putting this stuff out there for you guys and we just want to know that you're enjoying it and it seems like you are so thank you very much yeah thank you uh i suppose we won't waffle on anymore uh we no, said uh... thank you we had our emotional uh breakdown um look everybody forgotten football clubs uh the blog is out 29th uh on wordpress we will be tweeting about it we will be showing you all the team members that have joined that have put in the hard work behind the scenes and we have mm. loads of announcements coming up so yeah. I suppose, uh, Rory, that's it from us, is it? Yep, that's us for tonight. If anyone wants to get in touch, please go and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out the blog once it's released and you can find us on Apple Podcasts too. I don't know why I'm saying that at the end of an episode because I <laughs> presumably have already listened to it. it. just shows how tired I am. It's well past my bedtime. It's time I got into my jammies and went to sleep. So Phil, say goodbye. Cheers, Rory. And we'll see you all again next week. Good night. <laughs>